you do the things that you want and you avoid the things that you don't want. You might think, well, wait, wait. I do things all the time that I don't want to do. There are things I have to do that I don't like really doing. And that's true in one sense. We all do things every day that we don't really love doing. But we do them, we do the things we don't want because they help us get the things we do want. That's why we do them. Think about your job. In your job, you've got tasks you don't like doing. You didn't go to school so that you could do that thing, but you still got to do it because it's part of your job. If you're a barista, for example, you might like making coffee. You don't like taking out the trash or cleaning the toilet, but you have to do it because of what you do like, which is making money and keeping your job. That's why you do it. Every decision... So big, life-altering decisions and your split-second reactions, those decisions are all motivated by what you think will bring you the most happiness in the end. All of them. Whatever you think will make you happiest, that's what you want. Those are the things you love, the things that you desire Those loves, those desires, they motivate all your behavior. That's true of you whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. What you love most deeply, what you want, that motivates everything for you. This passage, Jesus is going to divide everybody into two groups. Those who love darkness and those who love light. And it's not an oversimplification. This is really a true division. Everyone loves darkness or they love light. And what they love determines how they'll act and even what they're willing to believe. What you love determines what you're willing to believe. Did you know that? It's true. Jesus is taking us into some very deep psychology here. Many, many people think that following Jesus is simply about changing the way you act. And these people don't really know their Bibles. They think the Bible's just a list of rules. Do these things, don't do these things. But God knows you're not simply a robot who needs a different set of commands. Like you used to do these set of commands and then God came around and gave you a different set of commands and that's why you act differently. You don't simply obey lists of commands like a computer does. Computers do. You program it to do what it's going to do. You give it commands, it does it. If you don't want it to do that anymore, you just change the commands. But that's not how you work. There's something deeper driving you. You have wants, desires, longings, loves that are driving everything that you do. Which means if we're going to get at the root of why, why it is that some people want to be near Jesus and some people don't want to be near Jesus, we need to talk about what it is that people most deeply love and how those deepest loves can be changed. We're going to walk through this passage and we're going to explore just two things. The reason unbelievers don't come to Jesus. It's the first section the reason unbelievers don't come to Jesus, 
And the second is the reason believers do come to Jesus. And we're going to see at the end, Jesus is digging at our deepest motivations in order to make us desperate for God's help. It's what he's trying to do. He wants us to see our need for God to change us at the level of our deepest desires, not just our behavior. So let's start with the reason unbelievers don't come to Jesus. If you've been with us the last few weeks, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So that's what we've been doing for the last three or four weeks. This is one conversation. And Jesus has told this Pharisee, he's a leader of the Jewish people and a teacher of the Old Testament. And Jesus tells this man, he's not a part of God's kingdom. He tells this man, a leader of the Jews, a teacher of the law, that he needs to be saved. Not that he needs to save himself. That's not an option. He needs to be saved. He needs the Spirit of God to do something to him so that he can see his need for God. And then he needs to believe in Jesus who pays for the sins that he cannot pay for himself in order to be saved. This man needs to be saved. And now Jesus is taking Nicodemus and us a step farther into why some people want to be near Jesus and some people don't want to be near Jesus. I want you to see how this is connected to last week's passage. So I'm going to read verses 17 through 19 all together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, talking about Jesus, he's talking about himself, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And now Jesus is going to answer the question, okay, if Jesus came to save people, not to condemn them, why is it that some people choose to stay in their condemnation? Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So Jesus here is the light of the world. We know that from chapter 1, verse 9. We've seen that already. We're going to see it again in chapter 8, verse 12, chapter 9, verse 15. He's light. Jesus is light because he shows us what's really there. If you're in a room that's dark, you flip on the lights, so you get to see what's actually in the room. You don't know what's going on when it's dark, do you? You can hide, but you can't see anything. Jesus shines the light. He turns the light on so that we can see who God is and who we are. Jesus is the light. We can only see what is real, true, really beautiful through Jesus. Again, not an overstatement. You cannot know what real, final beauty is if you don't know Jesus. You cannot know what real, final, ultimate truth is without Jesus. He's the light of the world. And we need him to be our light because this world, you and I, this whole world, is in spiritual darkness. We're morally blind. We don't see God, and we don't see ourselves or others rightly. 
You think about the worldview change you have when you think you don't see yourself rightly. It's amazing, but it's true. We naturally hide from what is true and what's real. Our spiritual condition is blind, it's dark, it's evil. Have you ever seen pictures of the kinds of creatures that live in the deepest part of the ocean where there's no light? I mean, my kids have some of these books. Every one of them is terrifying. I mean, they got their teeth sticking out above their forehead. Their eyes are all white and glossy. They're terrifying because they live in the dark. I think there's a picture there of our spiritual condition. They're terrifying because they're in the dark. And here's the thing. If you brought those creatures to the surface where the light is, they wouldn't survive. They like the darkness. And so do we. Verse 19, Jesus is telling us that we choose to stay in our condemnation because we love life without God. We don't want to see reality. We didn't want Jesus to show us God, to show us what's true or good, because verse 19 says, our works were evil. You see that? And then verse 20 is going to explain further. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So here... Catch this. Here's why people don't come to Jesus for forgiveness and life. This is what he came to bring, forgiveness and life. Because they know if they come to the light, they will be exposed. Do you see that? Do you see that in verse 20? They do wicked things, and they don't want those works to be exposed. So they don't come. Coming to Jesus involves admitting that you are evil. If you're a Christian, saying you're a Christian, coming to Christ is admitting that apart from him, you are gross, dirty, and evil. If you're a Christian, you don't think those things about yourself apart from Christ, you're not a Christian what it means to come to him. You are admitting, without him, I'm wicked. I'm evil. Gross. The only way you can come to him is in an admission that you are evil. And coming to him means that you're turning away from your evil. But you love your evil. You love it. And so you hate the light. Anything that's going to threaten what you love, you hate it. That's what Jesus says is happening here. So let's track the problem, okay? The problem that Jesus is laying out for us. What you love determines whether or not you're willing to believe in Jesus. Unbelievers are unbelievers because first, they're darkness lovers, It's why they're unbelievers. That's what Jesus is saying. They want their sin. They don't want to be exposed as evil or have to give it up. That's why they hate Jesus and don't come. So if you're going to believe, 
you need your loves to be changed. You need your desires to be changed. That sounds easy, right? How easy is it to change what you like? How many people in here like broccoli? We got a few. Okay, better question. How many people in here hate broccoli? Yeah, we got some of those too. That's right, because it's gross. Now, if I tell you that you need to like broccoli, you need to like it, could you do it? You can cover it up. I mean, I see people eat broccoli, they pour a ton of salt on it and cheese, mix it with curry, and I'm like, you don't like broccoli, you like cheese. (laughs) You cover it up with enough of what you do. And by the way, we do this with God. We cover him up with all sorts of stuff we do. I like money, God's going to get me money. I like God. You don't like God. You just covered him with lots of cheese. You don't like it, and you can't make yourself like it. You like what you like. This is astonishing evangelism on Jesus' part, isn't it? This is astonishing. He's telling Nicodemus, the reason Nicodemus doesn't believe is because he likes his sin. And the problem we should feel when we read this passage is that we can't change what we like or don't like. That's why we need to be born again. Do you see how this is just one conversation? We started talking about the need to be born again in the first week in the conversation with Nicodemus because we need the Spirit of God to change our desires. You can't change what you like or you don't like. And that's how Jesus set Nicodemus up. He said, you gotta be born again. And here he's showing the reason he doesn't believe is because he loves what he loves and those loves need to be changed. Now, Broccoli is a good example because people feel strongly about broccoli, but it's not perfect because broccoli is actually good for you. Some of you need to admit that. It is actually good for you, and that's why we cover it with cheese. But what if you craved poison? That's what sin is for your soul. You love it. You can't get enough of it, and someone says to you, you need to stop liking it. Not just stop doing it, you need to stop liking it. You'd say, I can't, I love it. It's what I love, it's my treasure. And Jesus says, no, and you say, get away. That's what happens. That's why, they, that's why unbelievers don't believe. Being born again is when the Spirit of God changes your tastes so that the poison you used to love, which was killing you, is suddenly gross and you realize the nutritious food of God that you've been avoiding your whole life is delicious. That's what it means to be born again. Do you understand why this makes our lostness, our darkness, even darker? We don't just need a new list of rules from God. That won't do us any good. We're not just one good decision away from being saved. We won't believe in him unless he has mercy on us and changes our deepest longings and desires. Your sin is the fact 
that you love yourself, your fame, your glory, your pleasure more than you love God and his glory. It's what sin is. And you can't just stop doing that. You need God to stop you from doing that. You need mercy. If you're a Christian, this was true of you at one point. It's really good to reflect on this. You're not a Christian because you're smarter than unbelievers or morally superior to them. You came to Jesus because the Spirit of God had mercy on you, opened your eyes, and you saw for the first time the poison that you'd been eating and treasuring was killing you. God changed your spiritual taste buds so that you could believe. Here's one more implication before we move on. This means, if this is true, it means that when we share the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Christianity. So when I say share the gospel, I mean you're sharing with someone that Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. He died in the place of sinners, rose from the dead, conquered death, and if you trust him, you can have his righteousness and his life forever. That's the good news of the gospel. If you share that good news with someone, an implication of this is that the people you're sharing it with have to face the fact that their lives are evil. You cannot share the gospel without offending people. You can't. Sharing the gospel forces people to admit that they're evil, or to at least face it. And that means they'll either hate what you're giving them and reject it and probably reject you, or the Spirit of God will work in them so they'll still see, I am evil and I do need to be saved. And they'll be changed. Now, this doesn't mean you need to be a jerk, right? Some people say, well, the gospel's offensive, so I'm going to walk around and tell, going to hell, going to hell, going to hell, going to hell. That's not what I mean. But I do mean that if you try to share the gospel without any offense, you aren't sharing the gospel. As you do share the gospel, recognize that if these people are going to trust in Jesus and be saved, the biggest obstacle to their believing is not a lack of information. Their biggest obstacle is that they love their sin, which means when we share the gospel, we have to pray like crazy. We have to pray like crazy. You do have to share the gospel and then pray, oh God, please do what only you can do. They don't like you. When they taste you, it makes them gag. Please, God, through the sharing of the gospel, would you change them? Oh, that God would make us a praying church, a bold church, bold in our witness, but praying because he's the one who has to do it. They need their deepest desires exposed, and only the Spirit of God can do that. Okay, let's look at the reason believers do come to Jesus. Some people do come. Some people are no longer afraid to be exposed by Jesus, and they want to be near him. And Jesus tells us in verse 21 what it is that's motivating these people to be near him. 
Verse 21, read it with me. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Look at that phrase, whoever does what is true. This is someone who knows the truth and they live as though the truth is true. That's what it means, whoever does what is true. It also means that these people are already Christians. We're not naturally good. That should be clear from the last several weeks. Nobody naturally does what's good. So the people Jesus is describing here, they're not, they're not good people who decide to come to Jesus because they're already good. That's not what's happening. These people have already been saved by him. And now they're doing good. And Jesus wants us to see what it is that motivates these saved people to be near him. This person comes to the light so that, this is verse 21, it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That mean in God. It's like when you say your car was fixed in the mechanic shop. What you're saying is that it was fixed by the mechanic, through the mechanic. When we say your works have been carried out in God, we're saying God is the one through whom your good works are done. It's his power. It's in union, in fellowship with him that your good works are done. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Because you might think that the parallel would be this. There are some people who do bad, and they don't come to Jesus because they don't want their badness to be shown. But on the other hand, there are good people, and they come to Jesus so that they can show how good they are. But that's not what it says. What motivates Christians to want to be near Jesus? According to verse 21, they want to be near Jesus so that it is clear that God deserves the credit for any good that has been worked in them. Do you see that? This is fascinating. They come to the light so that, this is the purpose of them coming to be near Jesus, so that it may be clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. This is what believers want most deeply. We said at the beginning that unbelievers, they don't want to be near Jesus because their deepest love is sin. They need their deepest love to be changed. But when God changes their deepest love from sin, what does he change it to? He changes their deepest love to him. Or more specifically, according to this passage, to him getting the praise as the giver of every good they have. Do you see that in the text? Real Christians are motivated. Their deepest desire is for God to get the credit in their lives. Is that true of you? Is that what motivates you most deeply as you're near Jesus? That he would get the glory, that God would get the glory in your life. I was thinking last night as I was falling asleep, it's kind of like 
Do you know, do you know anyone who doesn't like admitting when they're sick? Anybody? They're pretty rare. We like attention when we're sick. But there's some people who refuse to admit that they're sick. And so they'll never go to the doctor because going to the doctor is admitting that they're sick. That's what unbelievers do here. They're not going to the doctor because they don't want to admit that they're sick. Believers are those who build their house right next to the hospital. They're saying, yeah, I'm sick, and any health I have is because I'm here all the time. That's how believers live their lives. Our deepest desires have been changed. I think that's what Jesus is pointing out. You loved sin, and now it's not just that you love good. It's that you love God getting the credit for everything you have. This is the de- I was thinking about this in the, in the class this morning. We were talking about humility. You guys should come to the class, by the way, if you don't. We were talking about humility this morning. This is what humility is. It's not just acting like you stink all the time. True humility is saying, everything I have, God deserves the credit for. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that God deserves the credit. That's why I come near Jesus. I stick close to him so that everyone would see anything good I have from beginning to end in my salvation is from him. We need our deepest desires change, and who gets the credit for the change? God does, right? That's the whole point Christians are trying to make with their life, that God alone deserves the praise and everything good that he or she has. Now, this passage was not written, it was not spoken by Jesus to Nicodemus so that you would say, oh well, I can't change what I like. I don't like broccoli? I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about that. I don't like God? There's nothing I can do about it. I like my sin, so the Spirit of God, I guess if he wants to change me, he can. But there's nothing I can do about it. That's not why Jesus said these words. He said these words so that as you reflect, you would say, God, I'm more lost than I ever thought I was. I don't just need a little help to be saved. I need to be changed. Deep down, I need what I love to be conquered. That's what we need. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus this. It wasn't just to shut Nicodemus down. So that Nicodemus goes, oh well, bye. It was so that Nicodemus could see just how lost he was. So that he could see how much he needs God. Just a little, keep a couple more rules. And in desperation, turn for his help. Jesus does not want you to feel less desperate for God. He wants you to feel completely desperate for God. I think sometimes in my life, I I keep hoping that there's going to be some point of maturity where I don't need God's help so much anymore. That's not Christian maturity. You're never going to reach a stage where you think, oh, thank you, God. You brought me to a place where I don't need your help anymore. 
That's not what Jesus wants for your life. He wants you to know as deeply as you can possibly know that you need him and his Father and the Spirit for everything good so that he gets the glory. And if your heart's been changed, that's going to make you happy. So, if you're here and you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know that I am a Christian. This was not spoken so that you would turn away and say, oh well, there's nothing I can do about it. It was written so that as you hear, you would think, wow, I am really lost. And if there's any ache in you right now, you're thinking, I am lost and I don't know that I want to be. That's the Spirit of God working in you. So turn, lay hold of Jesus and say, yes, I need him and his death and his life for any hope of salvation and any good I'll ever have. And if you're a Christian, Jesus wants you to recognize that all your good has been worked by God, through God. So keep drawing near to him. Stay close to him. And as you do, point it out to people. Everything good I have, all my salvation, any good work I've ever done is because of him. And he gets the credit for it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Enjoy him as the one who gets the glory for doing it all. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these words. Thank you for this conversation you had with Nicodemus 2,000 years ago. For this man's good. You see the truth and you reveal the truth. You're the light, Jesus. You know we don't just need a new list of commands. We love what's evil and we don't love your glory. And you've come to change that. Oh, thank you that you've come to change that. You change that by the Holy Spirit. You die so that our sins can be cleansed. And then you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight so that you get the glory. Oh, may that be true in every one of us. We ask in your precious name. Amen.